0: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Georgetown's School of Continuing Studies, offering online degrees designed to fit your schedule. All hours, all Georgetown. Learn more at scs.georgetown.edu.
1: Hey, June. what can we help you with?
2: Well, I was wondering why outhouses have a crescent moon on them.
1: Uh, are you at an outhouse right now?
2: No, I'm not, but a couple of weeks ago, my husband and I were up at the cabin, and we had some friends over, and we were talking about outhouses, and suddenly Bob, the the husband of the other couple, said, well, and how come outhouses always had a crescent moon on their door? And my husband said, yeah, there was one just like that that had the crescent moon um, up at the little store that was close by the cabin, so I thought I'd ask you guys.
1: Yeah, I I can't I, I can't think if I've ever seen an outhouse with any other any other thing carved out there,
3: or yeah. or, or any other uh, phase of the moon. Even it's usually <laughs> that <laughs> crescent. Yeah,
2: that's right. It's always a crescent.
3: I stayed uh, with some friends who were
1: um, kind of back to the landers in in Vermont, and they had an outhouse, mm-hmm. and uh, I just held it for the entire weekend
2: because <laughs> you didn't want to use the outhouse. I
1: was afraid of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but it had a crescent moon
2: well, maybe it would have been okay,
3: yeah, yeah, I have I mean my theory is that the that that is there, so that at night, when you go in there or even during the day that there's some light that will be let in from that moon so that you can go to the bathroom and not be afraid
2: that that could be it, it might be well, I'm thinking of it might be something like Stonehenge, where you know the moon in this particular phase comes right through that. Uh, crescent and lights your way at a particular time of year.
3: All right. Well, Joan, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna look into this for you. Okay, great. Not too deeply. <laughs> it is an outhouse. <laughs> yeah. Okay. On the line with us now is Jimmy Stamp. He's written about the history of toilets. So, Jimmy, do you have an explanation for this?
4: Uh, okay. So I have to give a disclaimer first that what I'm going to tell you has been gathered from dubious historical accounts, folksy conjecture, and just pure hearsay. Okay. Uh, There are a few explanations for why the crescent moon is associated with outhouses. At the most basic functional level, you know, the the crescent moon just lets in light and air while providing more privacy than a larger opening would, like a circle or a square. Okay. I mean, that's very basic and and pretty obvious, but a lot of shapes could do that right. And, And in fact, if you look up pictures of old outhouses, the moon is um, by far the most prominent, but a lot of shapes were used: uh, hearts, stars, diamond horseshoes, even shamrocks. I saw. Uh,
1: Are you just just it's just the same things as in Lucky Charm cereal?
4: Uh, yeah, you know what? Now that I hear myself say that out loud, it really is just a list of marshmallows and Lucky charm.
1: Huh. Changes. But maybe that
4: was part of it. Maybe it was uh, you know wishing you good luck. Yeah. As you enter. Uh, I think it may have also been an acknowledgment of the fact that it let moonlight shine through at night when going to the privy or going out to the outhouse was probably a more treacherous journey than it is today.
3: Well, that makes sense.
4: So the, the story that's kind of most often told and circulated is that at the early schools and your, your finer early American establishments, privies or outhouses came in pairs one carved with the crescent moon, denoting the women's outhouse, and one with a a sun or a star for men. Now, this is from classical mythology, where the moon is often associated with women and female deities, like Diana or Luna or Selene, while the the sun is tied to deities like Sol or Helios. And, uh, you know, these were distinct shapes, the moon and the star, supposedly recognizable symbols for a society that was not completely literate. Um, and they were a lot easier to carve into wood doors, I imagine, than the outlines of a featureless man and a woman in a triangle dress. Wow. Uh, there's more. There's more. Over time, the the men's outhouses fell into disuse and disrepair uh, because for a lot of guys, a tree or bush was just as good and usually closer. Um, plus, it was cheaper for businesses to maintain one toilet. So as time passed, more women's outhouses were preserved and the moon shape was more commonly seen.
1: That is fascinating.
4: But I don't know if that's true or not, you know, and I'm I'm sure that may have been the cases in some some schools and maybe even uh, a country inn or something, but there's a final reason that I think is much more likely and really much simpler. Hardware was expensive. Why install a doorknob or a handle when a simple cutout big enough for your fingers would suffice? And if you press your fingers together and sort of cup your hands a little bit like you're opening your drawer, you'll see that the tips of your fingers sort of form a crescent. And uh, if that was installed near eye level, I think it would have the added benefit that we talked about earlier of light, privacy, and it would also let you see if anyone was approaching. Uh, but by the time hardware became cheaper, uh, this utilitarian crescent, which is really just a, a door handle, it had become such a strong symbol of the outhouse that it was retained as a sort of ornament.
3: So what you're saying is you would use the hole, the crescent-shaped hole, to pull the door closed... Once you got it, or the open, outhouse, yeah, or in,
4: open. exactly. Or you know, if you could, you could hold it closed, or uh, I'm sure it had a variety of use.
3: You know, it's
1: it's interesting. I mean, I, I understand you're saying you're not not sure how much of, of these stories are true, but it, it, if nothing else, it gives you a lot to think about when you're in an outhouse.
4: That's true. Yeah. You know, although thankfully, we we have our, our iPhones to keep us occupied now, so mm. we, we don't have to think too much. It's, you know, the, the bathrooms have long been a space for solitude and, and reflection, and and now it's also a place where you can check your sports scores.
1: Yeah, Well, this has been fascinating. Thank you so
3: much.
4: Uh, thank you very much for having me. I hope it was helpful.
3: This is How to Do Everything. I'm Mike. And
1: I'm Ian. And, you know, we're not the only show that NPR produces.
3: There's also Latino USA, hosted by... Maria Inahosa.
1: You'll hear from artists and immigrants, others who are changing the American landscape. Find Latino USA now at npr.org slash podcasts and on the
3: NPR One app. Hey, Alex, what can we help you with? Yeah, so
5: I'm recently engaged a couple weeks ago, and my fiance and I just started talking about, you know, what we would name our future child. And I started to think about how there's a terrible list that tell you, like, the top 10, top 20 <laughs> most used baby names.
1: Yeah. And
5: I, how do I make sure that my baby does not get on that list? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Because you wouldn't, you wouldn't even know for a few years. And by that point, the child is used to the name. It's too late to go back.
5: Too late to change their name, yeah, probably.
1: Have
3: you guys talked about any particular names?
5: Well... We have a friend who just named their child Sunday. He's a boy. We thought that was pretty interesting. And then we kind of had this funny idea that we would combine our two names. (laughs) My name is Alex, and his name is Patrick. So we would call our child Electric with an A. Oh, cool. Yeah, but I think think our parents would kill us if we did that.
1: This isn't uh, normally the way we do things, but I will say... As as soon as you you asked your question, a word popped into my head that I just want to throw out there as a as a Kay. name. Cutlery.
3: <laughs> as the name. Yeah. Not the category of names. This is my daughter, Cutlery.
5: I mean it's got a lot of things for it. It's got like an E sound on the end, which a lot of parents like, mm-hmm. like Ashley. Mm-hmm. Um I think it's beautiful, actually. We, oh, we've also thought about, because I'm not taking Patrick's last name, so we've thought of doing the first name as my last name and the last name as his last name. So it would be, it, well, his last name is Mahundro, and my okay. last name is Young, Y-O-U-D. Okay. We thought about naming the child, like, Young Mahundro, and But I think it, that sounds like, for some reason, that sounds like a like a hip hop rapper's name or like, something. Yeah, oh, Young MZ. Sure. Yeah, He's yeah. pretty excited about.
3: Yeah, M-G-Z. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, then, the, I mean, the question is, who's old Mahundro?
5: Yeah, hmm. who's old Mahundro? I think he would be old. Mahundro.
3: Yeah, I guess Patrick would be. <laughs> but There's an answer for <laughs> yeah. that.
1: we're we're gonna try and and find you a a satisfying answer. Come up with some possible names for you.
3: Hopefully, before your your child is born.
5: Oh, uh, you have some time. We haven't even gotten married yet. So you have at
3: least nine months. Okay. <laughs> okay, good. All
1: right. There are these companies that help other companies name themselves. There was actually, they talked about it on Startup Podcast, which is probably our enemy. We're not allowed to talk about it. I don't about. think we're allowed
3: to talk about it. Yep. So one of the companies that helps businesses come up with cool brand names is Blue Marlin. And we're going to try to apply that strategy, that corporate strategy, to help Alex and Patrick name their baby. The baby is kind of a startup. On the line with us is Amphia Kelsic. She's a strategy director at Blue Marlin. So Amphia, where should we begin?
0: I think we have to begin with um, what they want out of the name. Um, So as we think about it from a brand standpoint, there are certain key questions in terms of our process that we always ask. Um, And so if we were to take, you know, baby Alex Patrick um, and start to think about what what does your brand stand for or what do you want him or her to stand for, Um, what's their legacy going to be, what is is your vision for that person, Um, all of those sort of big questions that we would ask any one of our brand clients um, from a company standpoint.
1: Well, uh, I can tell you they, they want it to be a unique name. Specifically, they mm-hmm. don't want it to end up on one of those top 10 baby names of, you know, 2016 lists. Right. They don't want their parents to kill them.
0: <laughs> right. Um,
1: that's, that's pr- those, are, those are the two biggies. Okay. Let's, let's give just baby identity, youth, young, new. Any words just pop into your head yet?
0: Um, sure. I mean, we have things like neo, which Uh means new. Yep. Um, we have, I mean, bigger words like emergent.
1: Emergent,
3: yeah. How about, how about things, objects uh, that uh, embody those things?
0: Yeah, it's certainly the way that celebrities are going these days. Sure. So, things like bloom... A new flower.
3: Yeah. Um, Bloom.
0: Um, A sprout. Oh, that's Cute. adorable. Yep. Same theme.
1: Bloom, sprout. Bud. Bud is... Bud, yes. yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Bud's certainly a name that's out there already. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure he, that wouldn't end up on a top ten list. No.
3: It's kind of a classic, too, it feels like. A
1: classic, yeah. Now, I, you, you do see a lot of names today, like company names, that are, are maybe nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, is that, is that, is that choice of to to sort of nonsensify? Is that something that you're asked to do? Absolutely. Yes. So what is that process like? Do you just sit down and, um, just start thinking of words that aren't words?
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. It, It always has to be rooted in something. And so one of the names that in my, in a previous life at a different agency that I worked on was with, Gwyneth Paltrow and her lifestyle brand, which started off as a blog, and we did a lot of brainstorming to get to the name Goop.
3: What I'm you name sure Goop you've heard of?
0: Yeah, um, yeah, yes. I was part of the team that named Goop. Wow! And so the I mean, if it's if it's not clear, it takes her initials and then it adds the two O's in between, which is partially inspired by Google. And the whole digital age, partially inspired by getting to a word that has a really nice round feeling oh on
3: the mouth. I had no idea we that, that was going on there. We talk about Goop a lot,
1: and we did, <laughs> we did not put it together. That's great. Wow. Yeah. Well, let's let's take the Goop approach. We have two initials to work with: A and we P. We A mm-hmm. and P. We need a word that feels good, happy. Uh, you know that there's expectation, openness. Mhm. A n- a nice mouth feel. I'm sure is something they want. You can't just put two O's
3: in the middle of. Oh, th- no. that's <laughs> no. not going to work.
0: Unfortunately, that one wouldn't work, no. would it? Ayup or puya. Yeah, that doesn't quite work as
3: a. Okay, yeah. Let's try their last names. They
1: have Y and M. Are there? Y uh, and M. Yeah. Just throw any anything in there. You could do yamp if you took
3: all of their <laughs> initials. Could <laughs> do
0: yamp. Or, this is a strange one, but PAYM, P-A-Y-M.
3: Whoa. PAYM. That's fantastic. I like it. Yeah.
0: that's. I like the way it looks on a page as yeah. I write it down. You'd have to ask a few people, put it on a card and ask a few people to say it out loud.
3: Mm. Uh-huh. Right. Okay.
1: Is that something you do? Yes. Cool.
3: We certainly do
0: that. Wait. There's also the Google test. What's Type that? Type it in, see what comes up.
3: Okay. So Pame looks to be the top choice we've come up with so far.
0: <laughs> Potentially. It's certainly going to be the most unique.
3: Pame, Bloom, Young. Pame, Bloom, Young. Wow. That sounds it's pretty got good. Some,
0: it's got a nice rhythm to it, I would say. Um, but yes, that's another one where I would assume they probably want to sleep, sleep on it.
3: Yep. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> well, Anthea, thank you so much for talking to us about this.
0: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
1: Now's the part of our show where we like to tell you about our sponsors who sponsor us with sponsorship money.
3: You know, going to the post office takes up valuable time and leasing a postage meter is pretty much unheard of. That's where stamps.com comes in. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for all of your letters and
1: packages. For no-risk trial and bonus offer for How to Do Everything listeners, that's you, go to Stamps.com today. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in the word everything.
3: That's Stamps.com. Enter everything.
1: Don't enter everything. Enter the word everything.
3: Everything. But that's not all today. We also have support from Casper.
1: Hey, this will be fun. I'll be a gasper. When you talk about
3: Casper. All right, here we go. So Casper is an online retailer for mattresses. (gasps) Casper mattresses are American-made and obsessively engineered for comfort. (gasps) They use two technologies, latex foam and memory foam to give just the right amount of sink and bounce. Uh Uh-huh. And they have a risk-free trial. You can try out your Casper mattress for 100 days (gasps) with free delivery and returns. That that,
1: that makes a lot of sense.
3: It's outrageous comfort at a polite price. So go to Casper.com slash everything (gasps) to check out their options. And they have a special reward for listeners of this podcast. My...
1: My throat hurts from doing that so many times.
3: Right. Use the promo code EVERYTHING to redeem $50 towards a Casper mattress that works for you. <gasps> Terms and conditions apply. <laughs>
1: shopping for a car right now not 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 you and i not us but uh my girlfriend and i are shopping for a car and i was reading a review and uh i came across a term it said it talked about a car's dead cat space
3: now it turns out this is a real industry term this isn't something somebody made up to trick ian dennis
1: campbell is online with us now he's designed cars for ford toyota other companies and he's a now an instructor at the Art Center College of Design. So, Dennis, car designers really talk about dead cat space?
6: Yeah, it's one of the, I call them colloquial terms. It's kind of a, a slang, if you will, from the technical. So what does it mean? Um, it, it kind of refers to the wheelhouse or the wheel well uh, where the tire and wheel envelope sits or occupies that space. And there's, uh, you know, space around the tire for the turn and the jounce, you know, the tire and wheel going up and down and and turn. Uh, And uh, sometimes, I don't know if you're familiar with cats, but sometimes they'll go up in the car. And they'll sit up on top of the tire because there's a little bit of room in there, and they do it sometimes to get out of the weather. Yeah. And um, it kind of got its name from that. But what it really means is there's extra space around the tire. But somebody a long time ago must have said, oh, yeah, that's where I found my cat dead (laughs) or something like that. And uh, it kind of got a handle on it that way.
3: So it's never anything that's pointed out as a feature that a car would have, you know, extra dead cat space. No, no,
6: it's a physical thing that all cars have.
3: It is pretty morbid.
6: Uh yeah. <laughs> but it's it's uh you know, it it's probably descriptive and I, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to it because uh I mean if you know anything about animals and uh you know, cats in particular, they'll do that. You'll find them up under the hood sometimes and they'll be in the engine compartment. And a lot of cats have kind of bought it at that point.
1: So what are what are some of the other um colloquial terms that you guys use?
6: Um we use terms like um, baby cheeks if uh, uh, a car has too much volume, you know, like little fat chubby cheeks, so you'll look at the front end of a vehicle when're when we 're when we're developing it, and if it's got if it has too much volume or puffiness we 'll call that kind of baby cheeks um, so wait would you say
3: that you need to correct the baby cheeks or? yeah
6: yeah baby these sometimes they're kind of negative terms it 's like it 's a it's metaphor, you know it looks too much like something. Um doghouse. Um that's where the license plate lives.
1: Oh really? Oh. That has a mm-hmm. name?
6: Yeah, doghouse.
1: So you could you could have a car which had a nice comfortable place for a dog and a dead cat.
6: <laughs> it it really relates to the family of animals, doesn't it? <laughs>
3: <laughs> the dog's doing a lot better than the cat though.
6: Yeah, yeah, at least it has a domain, right?
3: Well, Dennis, thank you so much for talking to us about Dead Cat Space.
6: Okay, no, my pleasure.
3: So so
1: as we were recording this, uh, Colleen, who is uh, producing the show this week, got this voicemail.
2: So I have the craziest cat story about Charlie. Basically, she took a ride underneath my car all the way out to Royal Run. And before that, she sat somewhere under the car for an hour while I got a pedicure And the only reason I knew this was that she jumped into someone else's car. And when I came out with my groceries, the guy approached me and asked me if I had a cat. And he described Charlie. And I'm like, I I just don't even know what to say. So she definitely has nine lives. She took a ride, you know, going 50 miles an hour for six or seven miles. So now she's inside the car, freaked out. (laughs) Bye-bye.
1: That does it for this week's show, what we learned today, Mike.
3: Well, I learned that uh, outhouses in the old days had stars for men and moons for women, uh, which is interesting to me because they're both like heavenly bodies. Mm-hmm. They're in a like the least heavenly of places.
1: But, you know, you think about it. They, I think there is something primal there. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, when we're in a stall, we don't have uh, anything to reach for, any sort of aspirational image. So we invented uh, graffiti, you know? We invented uh, writing phone numbers on the wall. Yeah, that's true. It's another form of aspiration. You're not having a good time now, but here's a number you could call to have a good time, if the number is to be believed.
3: Do you think there was a time initially when someone wrote a phone number down, for a good time, call Chad, and but it was the guy, Chad, yeah. who did that? And he's like, you know what? I've got, you know what I'm good at? One of my gifts is I love to have a good time, and I love to share that with other people. I'd love it if you guys would give me a call. Got a lot to offer. Do this together. Yeah. He's just a guy with some go karts.
1: Yeah, you know what? I'm I'm gonna try one of those numbers. Mm -hmm. I hate to I hate to think about a generous spirit like that sitting by himself waiting for someone to call.
3: I got a ping pong table and two paddles.
1: How to do everything was produced this week by. Colleen Leahy, with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern this week is, uh, Pame. Good job, Pame. You're still just a twinkle in your mother's eye, but you've done as much as any intern we've had on the show. Our artist in residence is Justin Witte.
3: You can send us your questions at at howto.npr.org.
1: Our website is howtodoeverything.org. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike.
4: Thanks,